Welcome to the Breaking Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. The word boot camp gets mixed reactions, and today's guest, Chloe Condon, wrote an article that you should read after you listen to this episode called Consider the Boot Camp Grad. Most people go to coding boot camps to become software engineers, but Chloe decided to go to Hatbright to become a developer evangelist instead. I know. What is a developer evangelist? You're going to find out more on this episode, but to go back to Hackbright and what Chloe was doing before she joined Hackbright, uh, she was actually an artist in musical theater and talks about how she leveraged that experience to get this specific job, her experience with Nuco, working with Ben Parr on his book about strategies to capture people's attention, and more. Many of the skills that you need to become a successful developer evangelists are not just built through musical theater, but they're actually developed through things that you learn in the Breaking Startups 5 Step Challenge. So if you want to be like Chloe, hurry up and sign up at breakingstartups.com slash challenge as soon as you're done listening to this interview so that you can get a developer evangelist job too. So now to learn more about developer evangelists, salaries, and more, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Archer and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars Podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yes, yeah, so it's 12.30 p.m. on a Sunday. And we're recording today out of Hagbride. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Hagbride is a coding bootcamp based out of San Fran, and it's focused on teaching women how to code. Uh, we're recording several interviews with Hagbride graduates, including our guest, and uh, we can't wait to jump in. Arthur, can you please introduce the guest? Sure. So today we have the pleasure of uh, speaking with Chloe Candon. She grew up in a family of artists and uh, here in the Bay Area, and ironically, she ended up working at startups by day and performing as an actress by night. She got her first start as an account executive at Yelp, and her face was all over the billboards. But during the day, she was working in sales. And she held a number of jobs, including most recently as an office manager at a startup. So she'll go talk a little bit about the contrast between more operations-focused roles versus what she's uh, doing currently. And uh, in one of her previous jobs, uh, working as an executive assistant directly with the CEO of Nuco, John Patel, she attended an event that changed her life and put her on a trajectory to study software engineering through Hackbraid Academy. She's now a developer evangelist at CodeFresh, and we'll go deeper into what developer evangelists do and how it's different from uh, traditional software engineers. But before we begin, Chloe, take us back to that moment when you were in a Nuco event at Google and tell us what about that event made you decide to study software engineering? Yeah, so... I was working for Nuco at the time, which is this really awesome company where they hold a conference, but the venue is the city itself. So in this case, it was Silicon Valley and a bunch of you know startups, large and small, open their doors literally and um, invite people to come in. And this one was at Google and I had sort of a VIP pass because I was working for the CEO and I thought, oh, I want to see what Google's like on the inside. But actually, it ended up being sort of this life-changing experience because I didn't know what the talk was about. I didn't really care. I just wanted to go to Google. But the talk ended up being about getting more young women, like very young women, involved in coding. And this um, involved adding more characters to Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. And how can we get more female coders literally in front of the faces of these girls so they can see that they exist and that's something that they can end up working in? And I sat there watching this talk thinking, well... Where was this when I was younger? Because I would have loved to go into software engineering and it's too late for me. But they mentioned something called Girls Who Code. And of course, I immediately look it up on my phone and I'm like, oh, crap, it's for high school students. Um, and actually, I think John's daughter at the time was doing Girls Who Code. So I knew a little bit about scheduling, you know, different appointments that she was going to for that. So I mentioned this to my partner at the time and I said, you know, it really sucks that I didn't have this when I was younger. I would have really have loved to learn how to code. And he said, you do know you can still do this, right? <laughs> and uh, I ended up, you know, doing various online resources, mostly Team Treehouse to learn on my own. 
ended up really liking it and really enjoying it. And the rest is kind of history on how I ended up going to boot camps and or researching boot camps and going to a boot camp. Awesome. Awesome. And my, my brother's actually doing Treehouse and also has a similar arts background as well, being a cellist and a, and a guitar player and a pianist. And um, how does, you know, someone get interested in like going from the arts? You were pretty serious about the arts to getting into interested in technology in the first place. Was it through your partner? Or? Yeah. So I, it's interesting because I grew up in the arts. Both of my parents were artists. My dad is a playwright director. My mom was a costume designer, kind of graphic designer. And so the arts seemed like a very viable thing for me to go into full time because they had both done it. And I thought, I'm going to be this actress. So I went to a performing arts high school and I went to college for theater performance. And then I graduated and got my very first theater job. Like I got the lead in the show and I'm thinking, this is my life. I'm going to be an actress. And they said, great, you're going to get $500 for three months of work. <laughs> and I thought, oh, cool. So I need a day job. And I kind of stumbled into tech. So I worked at Yelp as my very first company. I think it was something I saw on Craigslist, maybe. They were looking for account executives for their sales team. And I did that for maybe a month or two, kind of figured out like, oh, sales is not for me. But this startup thing is really cool. This was Yelp pre-IPO. Yeah. <laughs> and I got really excited about the idea of like tech and startups. And my company that I went to right after Yelp was a company called Virtual. And I was the very first in-house hire there. They were a virtual personal assistant service. Yeah. So I literally got to see that company grow from three people, which was me and the two co-founders, to hundreds of people all over wow. the world. So that was sort of my intro, my gateway to tech. But by night, I was performing on stage and nights and weekends and rehearsing. And I mean, theater in itself is kind of a full-time job. So I was kind of doing two jobs at once, but getting paid a lot more for one than the other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's really cool. That's really cool. And so, you know, you, you got introduced as virtual. You're interested in tech and you, you went to that event that got you thinking about software engineering. Mm -hmm. You talked to us a little bit in the pre-chat about your thoughts about how you chose where you wanted to go, like which boot camp you wanted to do. Yeah. After you did Treehouse, can you walk us through that kind of like thought process or sure. how you wanted to get the skills? So I didn't know a whole lot about boot camps. I was learning on my own. And of course, I was working full time. I had kind of stopped doing theater to focus coding on coding nights and weekends. And I was on a trip to Japan, actually. This was literally almost a year ago today. And I was getting all these ads for the Facebook F8 scholarship for women and minorities to go to dev boot camp specifically. And I thought, this is it. Like, this is how I'm going to be able to go because I didn't have $16,000 to throw at something. I was an office manager and an actress. I didn't have the, the available funds to do that. Um, so I thought, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a scholarship. It's going to be awesome. Like, I'm really cool. They're going to like me. <laughs> And I studied my butt off and I um, had really had my heart set on, on going there. And then I didn't get the scholarship. And when that and, happened... And you mentioned that, uh, that there's a lot of people who apply for these scholarships. So it's not that you weren't qualified. There's just yeah. there's like hundreds and hundreds of people. There's right? amazing people who are applying to this. So I, I kind of took a step back and thought, okay, well, as a result of studying for this scholarship, I kind of learned a lot about coding and why not? aim really high and try to get into some of these boot camps that were kind of scary to me. Like I was looking into Hack Reactor, which I don't know why just scared the crap out of me. And Hackbright looked really cool and exciting because I'm very passionate about getting more women in tech. And so I spoke to a couple different um, acquaintances that I was introduced to through my boyfriend. And I talked to them about their experience at Hack Reactor and their experience at Hackbright. And I talked to Teresa Kay, who I believe now works at Uber still. And just everything that she said to me about Hackbright and her experience and what it was like to go there, I thought that is the boot camp experience that I want. Yeah. Um, this seems like a really supportive, wonderful environment. It's a mission statement I really believe in. So I, I ended up going to Hackbright as a, kind of as a result of that conversation. And it came very full circle a couple of weeks ago when a friend of mine that I did Annie the musical with when I was 16 years old messaged me and said, Hey, I'm thinking about going to Hackbright. Like, can I talk to you about going there? And I thought, oh my God, now I'm the Teresa in this That's situation. Beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. And so yeah. what was Hackbright's process? Like, did, was Treehouse enough to get you into the program? Yeah. So I I say this to everyone I talk to who's looking to go into boot camps. I actually wish I had a little bit stronger of a foundation personally going into Hackbright. 
I, of course, have terrible imposter syndrome. So in my mind, I'm like, I tricked them into letting me in. <laughs> and I still think that about like my job that I'm starting tomorrow. I'm like, I've somehow tricked everyone into thinking that like I am good enough to go to a boot camp and I can have a job. But yeah, I mean, I think imposter syndrome is very real for yeah. everyone. Can you tell our <laughs> listeners what an imposter syndrome is? Because that's a very common occurrence. And I remember on the first day at Hack Reactor, that was addressed publicly like in one of our lectures. And yes. all of a sudden, like everyone, it was almost like a huge uh, eye-opening moment for everyone because they're like, oh, that's what every one of us feels. <laughs> yeah. Um, imposter syndrome was a huge, huge, huge problem for me throughout all of Hackbrite. And I think it happens to everyone. But for me, I think being an actress going into, because a lot of the women, you know, we had some people who had math and science backgrounds and my background was just so different from mm. everyone else's. And every day I would come home and I would say to my boyfriend, like, they're going to kick me out. Like, they're going to figure out I don't know what I'm doing and they're going to kick me out of hack freight. <laughs> and even the hour before graduation, I was speaking at graduation. I presented my app. I think only three or four of the women in both cohorts presented their apps. And he said, oh, you know, I told you so. Like, they're not going to kick you out. And I was like, there's an hour. Like, I can still <laughs> get kicked out. But it's sort of this idea. And I talked to software engineers who are friends of mine who have been doing this for years. And they're like, someone's going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't belong here. This is, you know, not someplace I'm supposed to be. Like, you know, I'm. it's sort of this notion of everyone's kind of pretending on the outside they know what they're doing, but on the inside, they're secretly yeah. terrified. Yeah. <laughs> and the more I talked to people in my cohort, the more validating it was because I thought I was completely alone. But then when I befriended some of the women who were kind of at the same level as me mm -hmm. and said, do you know what the heck just happened? Like that went yeah. completely over my head. I'm so scared. And they'd say, oh my God, I didn't know either. It's fine. <laughs> and then yes. we'd all studied and, you know, kind of learned together and got up to where we needed to be. Got it. So what did you have to study in order to pass the Hackbright interview? Yeah. So the Hackbright interview, I, I think it may have changed a little bit since I did it, um, but there's an initial coding challenge. And it's to give you an idea of kind of the level it's probably a beginner intermediate challenge that I was doing when I was studying for whiteboarding algorithm kind of interview stuff. It's a great litmus test because I think it's just a great way to show that you actually know how to code and how to write it. You can put, I think it used to be, you could do it in any language, not specifically Python, which is what Hackbrite teaches. And then there's some essay questions, I believe, that went along with that. Um, and then I had a couple different rounds of interviews, mm -hmm. one with an alumni and one with the one of the hiring yeah. people on the board for hiring. And what type of prep? Because I know you, you can't reveal what the challenge is, but yes. what type of prep did you do? Like what course did you take on Team Treehouse to prepare you for the interview? Yeah, I think I was taking an intro JavaScript mm -hmm. course on Team Treehouse. I dabbled a little bit in Swift and because of Dev Bootcamp's application process, mm -hmm. they gave you a lot of resources to learn Ruby. So I'd sort of touched a couple different languages at that point. I mm -hmm. believe I completed the coding challenge for Hackbrite and JavaScript, which was useful because they do teach a little bit of JavaScript at um, Hackbrite. Personally, I, I wish that I had kind of immersed myself a little bit more in coding beforehand because I think once I got into Hackbrite, I was like, okay, like I need to get my life together and like, you know, mm -hmm. automate everything. So when I'm going to Hackbrite, it's, mm -hmm. it's a neat, smooth and easy process for me. But I wish I had spent a little more time just kind of like, okay, like, Let's really dig deep. They give you a lot of prep work, though. So okay, in the good. two weeks leading up to Hackbrite starting, I was, you know, learning, getting up to speed on a bunch of things that I hadn't learned previously. Yeah. And when you first started to learn how to code, I remember it, like when I was doing it in the beginning, it was very frustrating because nothing seemed to work. Uh, yeah. Even setting up your <laughs> environment on your computer, that didn't work. And I would spend like w weekends just trying to figure out those details. In your case, when you were learning how to code, what was it like for you? And then did you try to find a mentor or someone who can um, kind of unsolve those little bugs that would that usually hold a lot of people back and usually make a lot of people quit because they just kind of get stuck. And then they just after several times, they decide to give it up. So in your case, how did you go through that process of like initial learning? Yeah, so I had to kind of relearn how to learn because when I, so my undergrad degree is in theater performance and almost all of the studying that I had to do as an actress was memorization. <laughs> and it's so different as a software engineer. It's all about theory and being able to figure things out. And my, there was a TA that I was working with and she said, well, how are you studying when you're studying? Because I kind of mentioned like, 
you know, I'm, I'm getting everything that we're learning, but I feel like I'm very behind and I'm having to play catch up a lot. And she said, well, how are you studying? And I said, I'm reading the notes. I just keep reading them over and over. And she said, well, that's your problem. You need to be getting your hands dirty and actually coding things and playing with the different demos that are given in the lectures. And that was sort of a light bulb moment for me where I thought, oh, this isn't a memorization thing. Because as an actress, I could memorize lines. I sort of have a photographic memory where I could read something, know where it is on the page and know exactly what to do. And you just can't do that with engineering. It's, it's very different. And also asking questions. I was really scared to ask questions because I thought people would think I was stupid. <laughs> and my cohort was very quiet. Like we, the cohort upstairs when we were going to Hackbright was very like loud and rambunctious. And we were like very reserved, very introverted. So not a lot of people were asking questions. So I was a little intimidated to ask questions and they encouraged us like, please ask questions. And I didn't want to be that person. But when we were building our projects, our final projects, I mentioned to my boyfriend, like, I just get so stuck and, you know, I, I want to cry because I don't know what to do. And he said, well, how long are you waiting until you ask for help? And I said, well, I'm not asking for help. And he was like, OK, that's your problem. Yeah. Like he said, set a limit for yourself, like, you know, work, hack on something for like 20 minutes. And if you're completely stuck, like jump into the queue and, and get someone to help you. And it's so validating to work through a problem with someone who's more experienced than you and to have them struggle with it and to struggle with on it together and kind of go, oh, I'm not an idiot. This is just a really hard API to work with. Yeah. Um, so that was probably the most helpful thing was just ask questions and be open and receptive to feedback. Yeah. These are things that you touched on in your Medium post about um, how to survive a coding bootcamp, which mm -hmm. is called You Will Survive, where you talk about not comparing yourself to other people, yes. asking questions. But you also talk about a few other things about working out and routines and breathing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I talked to a friend of a friend who had gone to a boot camp, she mentioned that she would work. She went to Hack Reactor and she worked out like that was something that she really stressed. She was like, work out, like just get movement in. And I really made sure that I did that because it's very easy. These boot camps are, you know, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And usually you're staying later for, you know, meeting up with your mentors or working on your project or there's so many different social obligations that you have during a boot camp. And I made a point to at least work out five times a week because I was just really afraid, especially going into this new field that's very much like sit in a chair and code to make sure I was getting up, walking around, even if it just meant going down the street to get some boba, like getting fresh air and just having giving time for my brain to rest because you're really putting your brain through boot camp and your body is kind of like, wait a second, like you went from walking a lot and like being a human being to sitting in lecture all day and then coding all day. So I made a point to get movement in and to really um, make sure that I was in good physical shape so my body didn't break down. And I was the only one of the only girls who didn't get sick during Hackbrite. Wow. And I definitely kind of owe that to working out i think <laughs> yeah and yeah. I, I remember when i was doing hack, hack reactor i was also going to the gym like before class which i think it was like around 6 30 7 a.m and then i would go straight to class i remember having that consistency also gave me a little bit of like i don't know just time to relax time to plan out my day time to reflect because mm -hmm. it's very easy to fall into a trap of like hey like there's so much coding i could be learning and doing and even on your days off you're like well i should be catching up now and I think one of the mistakes I did initially was thinking that I could like that this was like sprint that I'm going to try to learn as much as I can in these like three months versus a mindset of, hey, like this is only the beginning. I'm going to be learning as much as I can. But these three months are only the start of the journey. I have two more years or like five more years or like my whole career to become a really good software engineer. And I think having that realization allowed me to take things a little bit less seriously, like still go to class and do the lectures but at the same time like if i felt like i was burning out just kind of putting my computer down going for a walk taking a break and that helped a lot in terms of like not uh stressing myself out yeah, yeah. and people thought i was crazy they're like you're waking up at six in the morning and working out but i had to to stay sane and i also ate very healthy i was doing kind of this slow carb ketogenic diet which in retrospect was maybe not the greatest idea because it was very limiting when i would go to these whiteboarding sessions or meetups they always have pizza. They always have like sandwiches and yeah. I wasn't eating carbs. You got to eat clean. <laughs> I was like eating clean and like try at least trying to. And I felt like that made my mind a lot clearer when I was learning. So 
actually mentioned in my Medium post. Like, that's a whole other article that I could oh, write. But <laughs> I feel like it helped that me. Article. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's on my list. <laughs> yeah, what is the name of your the article that Ruben mentioned? Yeah, so um, that one is called "You Will Survive: mm-hmm. um, How to Survive a Coding Bootcamp." And then another one that I wrote recently. Don't was, ghost me, bro. <laughs> Don't ghost me, bro. Is one of them, but the <laughs> popular one that my very first Medium article was called consider the bootcamp grad. And it's all about kind of my issues that I ran into hiring or getting hired as someone with a non-traditional background. Yeah. So that's actually a great segue for the next uh, part of the, like just the next question is, so you attend Hackbride, like you mentioned, you built an app, you presented it up to that point, like you've you've succeeded, like you've graduated. Wait, before, before talking about that though, like you did talk about what you built in the program and they had this demo day. Mm-hmm. You said something about gimmicks and things like that. Yeah. Is that related to the blog post as well? Somewhat. Is yeah, I think you should touch on it before going into that. A yeah. Bit. So we have a demo night at Hackbrite where, you know, all the women in the cohort work on their own individual apps and then we present them to prospective companies that come in and it can be small startups, large startups and Basically, the process is you have three minutes, you go up on stage, you talk about your, your, you have 30 seconds to talk about yourself and the rest you talk about your app. And then there's three minutes speed dating with all the companies at different tables. So you kind of get to talk to everyone. And my thought process was, okay, there's 20 women in this room, 20 women in the other room. <laughs> so how do I stand out among these really awesome, spectacular women who all went through the same program as me? And I thought, okay, well, I'm an actress. <laughs> and Another thing to note is all of the girls were or women were so intimidated about public speaking. And they were like, why are you smiling? <laughs> like, why why are you excited for this? This is terrifying. And, and I told them, this is the easiest part of hack, right? For me, all I have to do is talk about my app. Like, I've been an actress my whole life. Being up in front of people is not a big deal. So I actually thought to myself, OK, I want to mention that I'm an actress in my presentation, but I only have a limited amount of time. So I mentioned in my intro, you know, I was an actress, I got into startups, and I actually performed in the theater of this hotel we're presenting in a year ago today. So I'm up on in front of you in front of a very different context. And then I closed my demo night speech with, also, come find me afterwards. My name is Chloe Condon. If you want to talk about APIs or about Hamilton. And Hamilton was very hot at the time. So every table that I went to was like, oh, my God, I love Hamilton. Also, like, let's talk about your app. Like, you're the actress girl. Yep. So um, I recently told the most recent cohort at Hackbrite kind of tips and tricks on demo night and one of the things i told them is finding your gimmick and there's a song in the musical gypsy it's uh these three kind of older burlesque stripper dancer ladies (laughs) and they sing this song by steven sondheim called um you've got to get a gimmick and it's all about um finding that thing that makes you special and there's this one stripper who like plays the horn and there's one who has a light up bra um, and for me, it was, you know, find your gimmick as a software engineer. Yeah. Like, oh, I, you know, used to work with robots and now I'm going into software engineering or if it's, you know, I worked in marketing and now you like find that thing that makes you special. Like yeah. they say in Gypsy, it's like, find the thing that makes your strip special. And it's like, <laughs> find the thing that makes your hack right experience special. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so now like that, what Arthur was talking about with the post that you wrote, can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit more about why that was such a popular post? and? Yeah, like sure. The, the first one or the... The They'll consider a bootcamp grad. Yeah. So there's a lot of talk right now about hiring diverse candidates. And <laughs> I get really upset because people say, where are these diverse candidates? They just don't exist. And right. my argument is you're not letting them through the front door. And a lot of people don't even know that they're doing that. Um, a lot of it is part of the recruiting process. So there's all of these wonderful apprenticeship programs that are popping up. They're very few and far between. So for someone like myself, who's junior and does not have a background in coding, I was mainly targeting, you know, junior roles, full stack, front end, back end. But there's a limited number of internships and those usually require CS degrees. So I would apply to, you know, I'd spend like 15, 20 minutes on an application, get to the very end. And then there would be, you know, a checkbox that says, I am currently pursuing a CS degree in computer science. And I would check no. And I knew that my application was getting thrown in the metaphorical trash. Like, why would they want to interview me? Why would they want to, you know, have some former office manager, actress? You know, that's my resume is only part of the story. So there's a handful of apprenticeship programs that have popped up at Pinterest, LinkedIn. There's a similar kind of thing at Google. And but there's so many limited spots in those programs. And to give you an idea, LinkedIn cut off the applications at 500 applications Mm -hmm. and 
most of the women in my cohort were like, oh, my God, I applied on day five and I they had already gotten 500 applications, which mm-hmm. says to me, these candidates exist, but we need more programs like that to help people like myself with these non-traditional backgrounds get through the front door. Because yeah. as a former recruiter, you know, I didn't know a lot about tech. And if someone said we need someone with three years of Python experience and, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm going to look at my resume that I had before I kind of revamped it and say she was an office manager and then she like was an EA for a while. There's no way we're going to give her a junior level role. So I think a lot of it is rebranding yourself and a lot of it is creating openings and like being aware of your recruiting process. And if you want diverse candidates, you need to literally let them in. Yeah. And talking about rebrand. So like, yes, they got to let them in. But you also notice some differences when you started tweaking your resume. That got you like eighty plus percent more and responses. Maybe before and, we before and we jump was, into that, and w- I think you mentioned in the pre-interview that you had one of the best networks out here, mm-hmm. and you thought. And when you were going, when you were finishing up Hagbride, the career people said, "Listen, you're gonna have no problem finding a job." And then what happened? Yeah. So my entire friend circle is a bunch of senior engineers and, you know, people at Pandora and Twitter and Facebook, literally all of the large tech companies Mm -hmm. of Silicon Valley. And um, when I would talk to career services, they'd say, you know, do you have anyone in your network? And I was kind of like, yeah, that my network is all these people. And I assumed that when I graduated, I could just kind of go to them and say, hey, I'm job searching Mm -hmm. to help me out. But it was actually the opposite. A lot of companies, especially the bigger ones, are kind of have these negative views towards boot camp grads sometimes because they either interviewed a boot camp grad and it wasn't, didn't go so well or, you know, they have these negative perceptions. So I would say almost 80 to 90 percent of the jobs that I ended up getting a first, second, third round interview with, I cold applied to, which is pretty uncommon. That doesn't happen to many people. But I think a lot of people just wanted to interview me because they saw my resume and wanted to ask me, okay, you were an actress. What brings you here? Like you built this app and you used to do musicals. That's really interesting. But yeah, my network ended up really not serving me as well as I thought it would. Um, And everyone kind of told me like, you'll be fine. Like, you know, all of us. And then when it came time to actually like mine my network, no one was hiring. Did you feel like you got filtered out by the recruiter when you got referred into those companies through your friends? Yeah. And and I, I kind of asked for feedback on that and said, you know, what am I doing wrong? Like, is, is it my resume? Is it something in my cover letter? And some personal feedback I got was, no, you're amazing. Like, I would love to have you here. But we had like one bad experience with a boot camp grad and they don't want to bring anybody in for this internship who, you know, has gone to a boot camp. They want someone with a CS degree. And it's unfortunate that one experience can make one recruiter think that way. You know, it makes me think if another recruiter had gotten my application, would I have gotten in? So it's, it's hard to say, but yeah. it's. And- and you also mentioned that then your boyfriend told you to do some changes and to what Ruben was saying, rebranding yourself and the, how that helped you actually then stand out and uh, make a like better impression. So what did you end up doing in that rebrand? Yeah. So I so when I took a look at my resume and my LinkedIn, it basically said, you know, everything we've talked about, like office manager, EA, like I had impressive credits for someone who maybe wanted to be an admin somewhere. But I'm sure people were looking at my resume and thinking, what the heck is she doing applying for a junior software engineering role? So I had Hackbrite on there. And then my boyfriend had this idea of kind of rebranding. I was working on this stage management app. And to give you an idea of sort of the theater world, it's all on paper. (laughs) And it drove me crazy as someone in tech. As an actress, I would come to the theater and you'd have to physically sign in with a pen that was like on a string on the wall. And you know, you'd sit down, you put your makeup on, the stage manager would say, hey, you didn't sign in. You're like, you see me here. Can't you just sign me in? They're like, no, go to the wall, sign in. Mm-hmm. So my thought process was making an app where it was gamified. So the actors would actually want to check in. And then the stage manager doesn't have to run around like a chicken with their head cut off going, oh my God, is there a BART delay? Why isn't anybody here? You know, you're on BART. You can text like, hey, crazy dude on BART, like put my understudy on. So I was building that on the side because when you're interviewing, they really want to know what side projects you're working on. Yeah. And I really liked that it was involving my kind of arts background, my theater background. So he said, well, what about like kind of rebranding yourself? Because you are the founder of this app, creating a landing page, you know, like really making that your full time job and focusing on that while you're studying for studying algorithms and everything on top of that goes into uh, interviewing as an engineer. So I rebranded and I had, you know, founder and software engineer at Where Art Thou, which is legitimately, you know, my app that I was working on. 
And once I did that, and a combination of kind of pivoting into applying for developer evangelist roles, the response rate went up like immediately. Like mm-hmm. I think 85% of the um, developer evangelist roles that I applied to, I got a response from. And I think it was just them seeing like, oh, crap, she's a founder. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's bring her in. <laughs> so the, so uh, the way you present yourself is really important, the way yeah. you lay it out. I think before continuing in that direction, can you talk about the developer evangelist role? Because it's different than just like a software developer, right? Because we talk a lot about roles and which ones exist. And we haven't necessarily covered that on the podcast yet. So it'll be interesting to hear your perspective on that and also how your arts background helps you in that position. Yeah. So it depends on where you are working as a developer evangelist. I think some aren't as code heavy as others. Mine in particular, I start tomorrow, so I'll have a better idea (laughs) if you talk to me in a month. I do think that mine's going to be a little more code heavy involved in code. But it's typically a front-facing role for someone who speaks on behalf of the product with developers. And this can be through blog posts, through different meetup groups, through, you know, speaking at conferences, talking about the product to other developers. And it's really important to have people in these roles who know how to code. You can have someone in marketing kind of do these, but when it comes into kind of the deep intricacies of how an app works they're not really going to have that knowledge to speak on behalf of the product. So it's really someone who's talking to other developers, getting them excited about the product, getting them to use it. And being someone who comes from this performing arts background, I was looking at all these developer evangelist job descriptions and it said, you know, we want someone who knows how to code and has, you know, five to 10 years of public speaking experience. And here I am being a junior coder. But I had over 25 years of public speaking experience because I've been doing theater since I was out of the womb, basically. So people would see my resume and go, oh, well, you know, she may not be the most seasoned developer, but we're not going to be able to find anyone who knows how to code and, you know, isn't afraid to speak in front of a crowd and talk to people. So I kind of that was sort of my gimmick that I found post-Hackbright was, oh, developers really don't like to talk to people. And my boyfriend goes to a lot of conferences and speaks a lot on behalf of the Android community. He's very big in that space. And I saw him traveling a lot and doing these really cool conferences and, you know, having sort of this forward facing role with developers. And that was sort of something that I saw him do and go, that's interesting. Like, I would really, really like to do that. How do I be you? But he's also very senior. So I had always assumed, you know, this is something I can do in 10 years or something. But once we kind of talked about, we were, driving back from a wedding during Hackbrain on the weekend. He said, you know, developer evangelism would be a really great thing for you to go into. And I was like, that's a thing? Like, oh my <laughs> God, I would love to talk about code in front of people. That's awesome. And so, so how, how do those types of interview processes go? Is it similar to like algorithms and whiteboarding as well? And then also maybe like a case study for how you would present to people or, you know? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I got really lucky. I just started writing Medium blogs just because I wrote the Considered the Bootcamp grad article and it was getting a lot of traction. So when I was starting to interview as a developer evangelist, I had examples of my writing, which became very you know key in getting these roles. So a lot of times as a junior developer, they would have me do take-home homework coding challenges. And I would say it was kind of a hybrid as a developer evangelist. It wasn't as code heavy, but they would say, hey, we want you to integrate this technology with our product. Write an article walking through that entire process. So I was still coding. I was just writing about it. And then I also had, you know, being someone who had been performing for a long time, I had a lot of videos of me performing so people could kind of have an idea of what I'm like in front of a crowd. I recently spoke at DroidCon Bangkok last week. So I have videos of myself talking in front of people. And I think if you go if you want to go into this direction, kind of starting your you know, developer evangelist career early by writing and speaking, even if it's just going to a meetup and saying, I want to talk about my experience as a boot camp grad. That way you have videos of you talking in front of people and they can go, oh, like she's actually can speak and not freeze up in front of people. Got it. And so from a compensation perspective, like are they comparable to like a typical software engineer? Or- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's especially I was kind of scared of that going into it because I thought, well, it's not as code heavy. Like, am I going to get paid less? But it's uh, as far as entry level roles in this field are concerned, you can really make a career out of doing developer evangelism. There's a really awesome 
Facebook and Slack group um, that I've joined. That's it's it's a very small but mighty community in the Bay Area specifically. Um, what's but it, what's it called? I think it's called We Are Developer Evangelist, and you can too. There's also a, a Facebook group, and I ended up having a really great resource. I got coffee with Bear Douglas, who was at Twitter for a while. She's at Slack now. And she gave me a lot of really great tips and tricks on how to kind of break into the developer evangelist world because it is a very different skill set to have. Yeah. And she had a non-traditional background as well. So it was a little validating for me to hear that from someone because I thought, because my boyfriend initially said, you probably want to wait two to three years until you go into developer evangelism because mm-hmm. you kind of want to have that coding experience to kind of have the, you know, the chops in the background to, to talk mm-hmm. about that. And I was very cognizant of when I was interviewing for developer evangelist roles saying, look, I still really want to learn how to code. And mm-hmm. it's really important for me to become a strong engineer. And CodeFresh was very much on the same page. They were like, we can definitely get you where you want to be, be an awesome developer evangelist and like make you a, a very good engineer. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I remember my first uh, experience meeting someone or like finding out about the role was when I was at Hack Reactor, we had someone from Firebase, which is an API that developers use. And we had the presenter was uh, like very good at public speaking. Like I think until she started live coding in front of us, everyone was like, "Oh, she's probably like a PR person." Mm-hmm. But then she was as good as at coding as she was at public speaking. And then I was like, "Oh, that's an interesting job." So like she must be like that's super unique because I didn't realize that those roles existed until then. Because most of my like developer friends were like were not as good at public speaking as it's that so important. Was. I mean, I do a really good impression of. Um, <laughs> So I've been to so many product announcements, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been in EA for many years. And I recently did a, an impression for my friends where I was like, this is my impression of someone who's like a CEO or, you know, someone who's not really a front facing public speaking person. They're like, we are so excited to announce. And then they pause and like, wait for the slide to move. And it's like, no, you have to have the enthusiasm and you really have to be able to present it. Otherwise, because I can't tell you how many times I was like, oh, wait, did they did they announce this special thing? Because he <laughs> it sounded like he wanted to die. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, given that you had this experience as a actress, you got this developer experience and you talk a lot about public speaking. And a lot of times when we talk about developer interviews, we go into a lot of technicals. But you also had a unique experience working with Ben Parr. And he wrote you guys were working on a book called uh, captivology, which was talking about capturing people's attention. Yes. And so can you talk a little bit more about like the things that you cover in that and how that might help you and what you're doing today? Yeah. So um, I was working for Ben as his kind of personal assistant EA when we were doing the book tour when captivology was initially released, which is really awesome. And of course, I had I read the book and it goes into a lot about, you know, how to kind of Get yourself in front of people and get people excited about what you're doing in a variety of different ways. And I used a lot of the methods, you know, when I was applying for jobs. And I think that even down to people looking at my resume and wanting to talk to me about the theater thing, it does kind of come down to finding your gimmick um, and getting yourself in front of people in a new, fresh and exciting way that maybe other people aren't. Because there's so many. I mean, you can apply it to literally anything, what the advice that's given in the book, like teachers can use it to make their you know, presentations more exciting. I know that a lot of startup people read it, but there's a million different you know, car startups. But how do you make your car startup stand out and what are the techniques that you can do? Do you have any examples? Do? So let's say one of our listeners is trying to apply some of these strategies to either telling their story or standing out to an interview interviewer. What would you say some of those tactics that they can try using? As far as like getting getting people excited about yeah. the yeah, so I think sometimes people don't know how cool they are. In particular, in my cohort, there were some women who had the most awesome backgrounds, and I noticed when they presented their projects at Hackbrite, they didn't mention it. And I think sometimes people are kind of, especially being a woman, people are really don't want to come off as nerdy or weird or bragging yeah or like humble bragging hashtag humble brag um and i think it's so important to find your strengths and if it means if you can't find it talk to someone else and say hey i'm trying to figure out what makes me special can you help me like a good friend or you know a family member and kind of pick those things out that are like oh you should definitely mention that you worked with animals or like that's really interesting like i bet there's not a lot of people in tech who you know, have a, we're on a cheer squad for like the LGBT community. Like that's really unique that like find the thing that makes you stand out because you probably think it's really normal to yourself, but it's probably really awesome to other people. Yeah. And that comes down to the framing part of the book and like taking 
you know, someone's view of the world and put it in a position to so it pay so it so that they pay attention to you. Yeah. And then out of the other things that they cover, they cover things like acknowledgement and mystery and reputation and rewards and disruption and autonomous autonomy. Does presentation skills like creating presentations come into it? Because I know he talks a little bit about colors and you know how do you make like did you have to learn how to use Keynote to be in one of these roles or anything like that? I would say that my my resume itself, I I got a I'm not really great at design because I'm an engineer, but I used Canva, which is something that they recommended to us in career services to make our resume, you know, not just this like black and white kind of thing. And I got so many compliments on my resume. And I I was discouraged by a couple people because I have my photo on my resume. And as an actress, I always had my headshot, you know, on everything. And I was warned by a couple people, don't put your headshot on anything like as a woman that's really dangerous and I was like why I don't want to work anywhere where they see a picture of a woman and they don't want to work with me so it's kind of a litmus test for me so my my resume helped me stand out a lot I would also say I have a pretty good social media presence on Facebook and Instagram starting to build my Twitter following a little more because I feel like that's more of a a tech thing and less of an arts thing that I'm trying to get into now so I already have this ability to write and I would tweet a lot and I would write on Facebook and Instagram a lot about the struggles and the weird, awesome, cool, like also negative things that I was running into. And that kind of helped me build a following. Um, And a lot of people were able to reach out to me when I was, you know, be it on LinkedIn or anything where they're like, oh, this woman knows how to write and she's funny. Like I I went to um, DroidCon Bangkok last weekend and I went in the bathroom and there were two women's bathrooms that were huge and there was no one in there. So I like took all these selfies on my timer of me just like, <laughs> look at how much space we have for women in tech. Like, this is what it's like to be a woman at a conference. And people are like, OK, it's nice to have a sense of humor about like how yeah. weird it is to be a woman in tech because it is really weird and isolating to go to these like conferences where you are the only girl there. What is your hope for the next, like, I guess, five to 10 years? And like hope for tech and engineering in general, uh, especially with the things you've discussed. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I think much like that talk at Google, it's really going to take getting people interested in it early to really get equal representation of men and women in this industry. I know for me, I really want to be an advocate for bootcamp grads and people with non-traditional backgrounds specifically, because I mean, a friend of mine who works at a, a company I won't mention the name of <laughs> recently mentioned that they had interviewed a candidate and one of the people said, I don't know, he doesn't have a computer science degree. I just don't think we should admit him. And all three of the other people in that meeting were like, "Um, we don't have computer science degrees. Like, why are we discrediting (laughs) this person? So I think the bigger, you know, my career becomes and the more influence that I have on hiring, I really want to be an advocate for people with non-traditional backgrounds and be that, you know, by speaking at different events or you know, writing more articles about it, just really letting people know that this is a fundamental problem. And we're, we talk about diversity so much, but we're not letting these people in. And yeah. um, it's a huge problem. I, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk more action. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like it. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where uh, the three of us will ask you several questions and try to provide brief answers, but share some strategies, some resources or tactics that you've used to get to where you are today. Arthur, take it away. Sure. So this question takes us back to the basics. So imagine you are moving, you just moved to a new city, you don't know anybody, and you have $100 and you start, you're trying to kind of start from scratch and build yourself back up. Mm-hmm. So what would you do first to get yourself back on the feet and use that $100? Yeah. So I've thought about this a lot going to uh, different meetups and tech events that there's so much free food at these things. <laughs> <laughs> so I would probably get food by going to different meetups and whiteboarding events and whatnot. And then I would take, I would use my uh, money to get a subscription to maybe one of the Team Treehouse classes, Mm -hmm. really ramp myself up on that and uh, find a scholarship or, you know, some kind of all the resources that I can to help me get into a boot camp and kind of don't have a safety, not have a safety net Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, just kind of catapult myself into the boot camp world. Got it. And so your story has a lot of ups, a few downs and things like that. Can you talk a little bit more? You talk. So I usually ask about music in this section, which you touched on a little bit during the, with the, the example with the gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Um, you also talked about a movie in the pre-chat that influenced you a lot. Can you talk a little bit about that movie? Yeah. So and my, why it, why it re- resonates with you? Totally. 
my dream role when I was a musical theater actress and still to this day is Elle Woods in Legally Blonde, the musical. And Elle Woods' journey is very interesting. When you kind of take a step back, she's sort of this creepy stalker who stalks her ex-boyfriend to Harvard Law. But no one really believed in her. She, you know, was this fashion merchandising major who wants to get into Harvard to chase after this, you know, boyfriend that she lost and then ends up being really a really, really great lawyer and ends up being an amazing, fantastic uh, lawyer and, you know, finds new love and everything. But that was sort of my my soundtrack that I would listen to all the time when I was applying to boot camps because I was like, Elwoods did it. I can do it. Like, I'm kind of this non-traditional coder. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not when you see me on the street, you're probably like, she works in fashion merchandising. (laughs) Like, I'm this quirky, (laughs) weird, you know, blonde white girl. So I kind of identified a lot with Elle Woods and that no one believed in her. She d- was not your typical lawyer, and yet she yeah. succeeded. Yeah, no, that's great. great. That's great. Yeah. And at this point, I usually ask about some one of the biggest advice that you would have for, for another listener. But I actually want to change things up. And I just want to ask you, what is it like to call yourself an engineer? It is wonderful and terrifying <laughs> all at once because... If you asked me a year ago, like what I would be doing right now in this moment, Mm -hmm. like starting my job tomorrow, like talking to you guys here on this podcast, I would tell you you were out of your mind, cuckoo crazy. I was working as an office manager. I, you know, a majority of my job involved putting LaCroix in the fridge and cleaning people's dishes. And I didn't have any confidence. I really felt like I was very, very low on the totem pole and kind of this Cinderella syndrome of mm-hmm. thinking like, this is my life and I clean all the things. <laughs> but it it feels so awesome. I mean, I love actually sometimes I'll go to conferences and people will just assume that I'm someone's wife who's there and they'll go, oh, and what do you do? Or sometimes they won't even ask me, which mm-hmm. drives me crazy. But when people ask me, you know, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a developer evangelist or I'm a software engineer. Yeah. They kind of go, oh, whoa, OK, like because they just always assume, you know, and then they say, how did you get there? And I say, well, I was an actress and it is wonderful. And also my imposter syndrome is still so very real that when I tell people, I'm like, they're going to figure out that I'm not really <laughs> like, but I am. Yeah, so. But it's it's wonderful. And yeah. I, you know, I think for anyone who really wants to make a major life change and completely change the direction of of what they're doing. I think that boot camps are an awesome way to kind of fast track that because I mean, I, seven months ago, I was an office manager and now I'm going to be a developer evangelist. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how you embrace your background and your differences yeah. and you're able to kind of incorporate that into your story. And I think it's going to inspire so many people. And I can't wait to see your old coworkers who kind of have known you kind of differently now when they'll see you like present at a conference or be the person that teaches them how to use the API. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and related to that, what, what would you say is the thing or the things that people misunderstand about you the most? And then how do you reframe that so that people really understand your superpowers? Yeah. So I think a lot of times, especially when I was interviewing, they were like, oh, she's an actress. Like, you know, she, she can kind of... Um, she can talk the talk, but like, can she walk the walk? And what was very validating was to be able to get in the front door, like get a company to, you know, believe in me enough to let me interview. And then they would say, okay, like solve this algorithm. And then I could do it. Cause I think, like I said, people, you, you go to these conferences or meetups or whatever. And when you look across a room, you think like, oh, she's an engineer. She's an engineer. She works in marketing. She's in recruiting based on how they look or how they dress or how they present themselves. And I think people automatically see me and I am not in the engineering lineup at all. So it's been really fun to kind of uh, surprise them. <laughs> yeah. And I hope that that's the case going forward with, you know, all women who are in tech. Um, we don't have to be that girl in the hoodie with the purple stripe in her hair, although I did used to have purple hair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just kind of making more space in this industry for people like myself, who are kind of this like quirky Zoe Deschanel offspring it's accessible for everyone and yeah yeah. (laughs) do you have more books or online resources that people can go to to like study up and and be sharp so that whenever people are trying to figure out whether they can walk the walk they can just be the best person that they never heard of not just from a qualitative perspective but from a knowledge and a technical perspective yeah i would say um team treehouse has been sort of my like guiding light on as far as technical abilities concerned anytime that i'm ever like i don't know anything about you know blah, blah, blah. I can find it on there. I watch a lot of 
TED Talks as far as like confidence and trying to, you know, you know, the superhero pose one is a is a popular one for me. And Medium has been really great. Even when I was interviewing for CodeFresh and I didn't know a whole lot about Docker, there's like a bunch of like Docker for beginners who absolutely know nothing about Docker. Like, oh, that is me. Um, and even if you're looking to go to a boot camp, you know, I've written a lot of articles specifically about my experience interviewing for boot camps and my process, you know, post boot camp. And I'm trying to get more out there just because when I was a boot camp, prospective boot camp person looking for resources, there wasn't a lot out there and it was all men. So I'm trying to create the content. Yeah. yeah. And what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Yeah. Well, I'm on Medium, mostly on every uh, thing as Chloe Condon. I'm on Instagram at unslothorized. This <laughs> <laughs> was like unofficial sloths because I love sloths. <laughs> yeah. And just uh, my email is misschloecondon at gmail.com, M-I-S-S. And I'm, and what's your Twitter? Because you mentioned that you're starting a new Twitter. Yeah, so. I'm just at Chloe Condon. You can just find nice. me by my can, name everywhere. <laughs> can you also just name a few of the women that you uh, mentioned are writing some things out there or some other people that inspire you just so people can start doing their own research as well before we go? Yeah, so I would say I don't have any specific people that I follow. Um, usually things kind of come into my attention by other cohort mates or posting articles in our Slack channel and things like that. Um, but Medium has been a really excellent yeah. resource, especially with you know what's going on right now with a lot of women in tech. There's a lot of articles that are coming out that's like, this is what it's like to be a woman in tech. And yeah. I'm actually working on an article right now called More Realistic Topics for Tech Conferences about Diversity. Like, yeah. you know, going into like, hmm, these lines for bathrooms are very short. Or like, yeah. <laughs> why are there no extra small shirts? <laughs> yeah. And, one, and one, of, one of our guests, Preeti, also wrote something about Docker as well if people want to check it out. But no, thanks again for taking the time with us. We'll yeah. stay in touch. Great Thank chatting you. with you. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.